Good evening, everyone. We're reading from Psalm 32. Um, that looks about halfway in the Bible. If you've got your own Bible, then you can just open it up. You'll find Psalms somewhere there. Go back to Psalm 32. Um, and for you that have the Pew Bibles, it's page 446. Please pick them up and have a read. It's terribly encouraging to our ministers if they see you reading the word. Uh, it'll be great. Psalm 32 of David Amaskell. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not account against him and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you. And I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from my trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I'll instruct you and teach you in the ways you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and bridle, or they will not come to you. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the words of but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. Rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing all you who are upright in heart. Thanks, Rami. It's a, a really important passage of scripture. I was reading a, a book by uh, Philip Yancey called What's So Amazing About Grace? And it tells uh, a terrible story, a really uh, a shocking story, of a Ku Klux Klansman named Henry Alexander. And in 1993, a Ku Klux Klansman named Henry Alexander made a confession to his wife. This is 1993. He said in 1957, he and several other Klansmen had pulled a black truck driver from his cab, marched him to a deserted bridge, high above a swift river, and made him jump, screaming, to his death. Terrible picture. Terrible event. He was charged with the crime in 1976, 20 years later. He pled innocent and was acquitted by a white jury. For 36 years, he insisted on his innocence until that day in 1993 when he confessed the truth to his wife and said, I don't even know what God has planned for me after such a shocking thing to do. I don't even know how to pray for myself. 
A few days later, he passed away. His wife wrote, wrote an apology to the black man's widow, also then printed in the New York Times. said, Henry lived a lie all his life, and he made me live it too. He lived a lie all his life, made me live it too. For all those years, she had believed her husband's protestations of innocence. He showed no outward sign of remorse until the last days of his life. Too late to attempt restitution. Yet he could not carry that terrible secret of guilt to his grave. Friends, the burden of sin and failure is a terrible burden to bear. And you and I, I hope, have not committed a sin like that. But we have committed sins. We've done things that have not been pleasing to God, things that have hurt others, things that have been offensive to God. And I want to remind you here on this uh, Sunday in January 2023 that our greatest need and our greatest joy is God's forgiveness. Because it doesn't matter who you are, what you've done, there is forgiveness and restoration and a good future in Jesus Christ. And so when you look at the new year and you set goals and, uh, and, and hopes and dreams for the year, let me say your greatest need is not more money or a girlfriend or a boyfriend. Your greatest need is not a wife or a husband. It's not a successful career. It's not a great body. It's not a, a trip around the world. It's not a win at the Australian Open. It's not even the healing of a major illness. That is not your greatest need. Your greatest need is God's forgiveness and reconciliation. And we find that through the death of Christ. Psalm 32 is a psalm which focuses on that joy of experiencing God's forgiveness. But it goes beyond forgiveness to God's protection and therefore God's instruction as well. We call it an individual psalm of thanksgiving. You know, there are a variety of types of psalms in your Bible. Some are praise psalms, some are repenting psalms, some are thanksgiving psalms. This one's one of these thanksgiving ones. And the life situation, when you would say something like this, in its first context, when would you sing this song or read it out? Probably in temple worship. Just like uh, they gathered in worship, as we gather in worship, someone might stand up and uh, read or sing this psalm on the theme of sin and forgiveness. So what does he say first? Blessed is the person who is forgiven, verses 1 and 2. Blessed is, blessed is the one whose transgressions, and you'll notice three different words they use for sins. Transgressions, who are, are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is, blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and whose spirit is no deceit. Important to say, you're not a deceiver, you're not a liar, you're not, you're not having secret sins, you're honest about what is taking place in your life. Now, the three words, transgressions, reflects uh, rebellion against God's authority. The general word for sin reflects the fact of turning away from God's true path, missing the mark. And then if he says sin in verse 2, but it can also be the word iniquity, which means a distortion, criminality, the absence of respect for God's divine will. There's a crookedness about the person and they are going astray from the truth. And he uses the psalms, these three words to describe what it means to, to walk away from God and go against him. Our problem, though, when we sin like that is that uh, God is our judge. He keeps the books. He keeps the records. We have, have to give an account of our lives to him. And there's no escaping his justice. The only way to be right with God and find eternal happiness is to be forgiven. That's why he says, uh, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven. That means they're removed, no longer there. 
whose sins are covered, they're concealed from sight because no longer applicable, whose iniquity the Lord does not count against him. God no longer regards the repentant man a sinner. God treats him as righteous through Christ. And the Apostle Paul takes these verses, Psalm 32, and applies them in Romans chapter 4, verse 6 to 8, to show that God treats us as righteous, not because of our works, but as a gift of his grace. How much do you value forgiveness? Start that this year. If God offers this forgiveness when we come to him, how much do you value it? John Piper writes this, I am convinced that until we fear sin and its consequences more keenly, we will not prize our pardon very highly. Sometimes I sin, I say, oh, thank, please, Jesus, please forgive me. Off I go. Without ever feeling the pain and the sorrow of that sin, the hurt towards others and the offence towards God. The horror of sin and the fearfulness of hell, he writes, are the only backdrop that will let forgiveness shine for the infinite blessing it really is. Twice in my life, I've been rescued from near physical death, both in water. And when I was saved and pulled from a terrible situation, I cannot explain to you the exhilaration of joy and relief. You sit on the shore thinking, I'm alive. <laughs> no one's going to have to bury me this week. There's a sense of joy and life that I've received. But at the age of 15, I realized that I was going to hell. I was going to face God's judgment. And Jesus rescued me. When I received Christ and his forgiveness and his reconciliation, I experienced great relief and joy, not from physical death, but from spiritual death. I wonder sometimes whether I appreciate all that God has done for me in Jesus. The psalmist says, come to him, appreciate the forgiveness. But secondly, don't conceal your sins, but confess them. When I kept silent, listen to, the, to the, the language. When I kept silent, when I didn't tell God about my sins and my mistakes, my bones wasted away from the groaning all day long. He felt it physically, this person. There's a feeling like I'm under the judgment of God, the weight of my sin. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me, as if God was punishing him, God was putting pressure on him. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. You know, one of those 40-degree days we have sometimes. And you get to the afternoon, you just want to be inside with air conditioning. Well, I've got the air conditioning on tonight too. <laughs> because you don't have any energy. He said, that's how I felt when I hid my sins. When I didn't tell God what was really taking place in my life. Then, though, I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. Having been in that state of depression, the state of heaviness, the state of possibly physical illness, he finally goes to God. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Friends, when we sin and we don't confess it, there's a sense of weight upon us. We know we've offended God and we don't do anything about it. It's very dangerous and soul-destroying to live with a guilty and stifled conscience, refusing to own up before God about your sinful lifestyle. That Ku Klux Klansman, 36 years, he knew... He led to the death of a person. Imagine how many times you turned around and you remembered that story, remember that, the guilt, the shame, that secret. And friends, the problem is for many of us, 
we live in two lives. We live in the public life and we live the secret life. The secret life is what you do when no one else is watching. And sometimes in that secret life is when you get caught up in impure thoughts, where you get caught up in, in a critical spirit, you get caught up in types of sin. So I ask you, is there unconfessed sin in your life? Do you have a secret part of your life? You don't want to tell anyone else. You don't have to tell anyone else. Make sure you tell God, though, because God is a transforming God, a forgiving God. It may be arrogance. It may be jealousy. It may be sexual sin or lust or pornography, slander, a critical spirit, alcohol abuse, gambling addiction, adultery, lying and deception, bitterness, unforgiveness, a lack of love for God and the lost, vanity, a lack of generosity, you like to keep everything to yourself. Gordon MacDonald was a Christian leader and um, he wrote an article called The Secret Driven Life. And he describes his family situation and what his life was like growing up and the sin around him that was never addressed. Let me read what he says. In my childhood, appearances were everything. Right doctrine, right answers, right behavior. And what was underneath the appearance was to be kept there, unexposed and unexplained. Just look good. I lived in at least three parallel lives in early childhood, and adjusting to them was a daily challenge requiring cleverness and duplicity. It says, my first was a church life, maybe like some of you guys here today, where my father was the pastor, probably not most of you. <laughs> a life where I was popular and envied by people. In church, I was known and accepted by everyone because I was the son of an excellent preacher and a beautiful, effervescent musical mother. How lucky I was to have such amazing parents, everyone said. Perhaps you'll grow up to be just like them, people told me. My second was a public school life, where my grades were poor, really poor. My teachers consistently expressed consternation over my daydreaming and my failure to apply myself. Gordon is smart, but scattered, they said. Children in my class scorned me. They mocked me as the kid who was not permitted to do movies, parties, and dances because of his religion. The Monday morning transition from church, where I was a celebrity, to school where I was a nerd was difficult to negotiate. My third life was at home, where my parents, who although they desired differently, often quarreled bitterly and systematically destroyed each other's aspiration to be healthy human beings. They never understood each other or knew how to treat the other with dignity and affection. Many times when the family had passed through one of these periodic relational tsunamis and my father had stomped out the door for who knows where, my mother would say, and I can hear it now, you must never tell anyone. This is our family secret. If people knew about this, this would destroy your father's ministry. Feeling somewhat responsible for my father's ministry, therefore, I became quite proficient at keeping secrets. He says, our family survived for a long time, managing to communicate whenever it was necessary that everybody was fine. Only a relative few got close enough to see the truth that none of us was fine. In our own ways, each of us was growing sadder a little bit each year. Sadly, people live a secret life. I just say, be honest with God, your own life, your relationships. Come to God, let God do the transforming work so that your personal life, your secret life, is the same as your public life. 
They said, oh, there's, this is person Graham. I tell you, at home and at work and at church, it's the same person. If you live a secret life, talk to someone about that. Get the help you need so you start to live consistent with what you claim to believe. The psalmist, he got to that point. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity, verse 6. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Let me say, when you confess your sins to God, it's not simply saying, oh God, I've sinned, please forgive me, and we're done. Confession of God is not merely admitting our sin as real, but also rejecting our sin as repulsive. My sins are so bad that God punished Jesus on a cross for me. See, when you think, sometimes we think our sins are not very important, oh God, yeah, thanks, great, done. But my sins were so offensive to a holy God that he nailed Jesus to the cross in our place. Take them seriously. Just don't see it. Oh, well, people say, oh, it's just a sin. I just made a mistake. It's okay. I lost my temper. Don't worry about it. Move on. There is a sense in which that's true. We need to move on. You can't dwell on it. We just go to Christ for forgiveness. But we need to have a desire to change from that type of behavior. So the prerequisite... Therefore, of divine forgiveness is admitting our sin is real and rejecting our sin is repulsive. And 1 John chapter 1 uh, has these beautiful verses. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's great news there, isn't it? If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word has no place in our lives. And he says, the reason why God can forgive us comes out in chapter 2. My dear children, I write this to you so so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. When you hate sin, when you confess sin to God, God forgives you, he restores you, and he empowers you to live a new life. I want you to know that God loves you deeply. You don't have to keep secrets from him. Be honest with him. And um, the author Brennan Manning um, talks about your primary identity as being one that Jesus loves. And um, you know that in in the Gospels, uh, I believe John who wrote one of the Gospels uh, is referred to as the one that Jesus loved. And Brennan Manning writes, if John were to ask were to be asked, what is your primary identity in life? Who are you? He would not reply, I'm a disciple, I'm an apostle, I'm an evangelist, I'm the author of one of the four Gospels. He writes, I think he would say, I'm the one Jesus loves. And said, what would it mean, think about it for a moment, if we, all of us, came to the place where we saw our primary identity in life as the one Jesus loves? doesn't matter how successful you are at work or study or whatever else, but you see yourself as someone that God loves deeply. God wants relationship with. And friends, because that's what you are if you're a follower of Jesus. You are deeply loved by the creator and the savior of the universe. And sociologists have a theory, what they call the looking glass self. You become what the most important person in your life thinks you are. You become the most important person in the, in the world thinks you are. How would our lives change if we truly believed the Bible's astounding words about God's love for us? 
If we looked in the mirror and saw what God sees. Friends, sometimes when you... I found it over the years when I had to suffer persecution opposition from family and friends. And I remember my family and my parents uh, trying to burn my Bibles and uh, stop me going to youth groups and church uh, as a teenager because they weren't very happy about me becoming a Christian. There was something about knowing that I was loved by God. And I said, Mum and Dad, you can take away my Bible. You can take away anything else you can, but you cannot take away my Saviour. He's there. I'm loved by God. I'm forgiven by God. I'm a child of God. I belong to God. And we need to see ourselves that way because we will face different stresses and pressures in life this year as in last year and the next year. But you need to know that you are deeply loved by God. And Manning tells the story of an Irish priest walking on um, walking to on a rural parish. He sees an old peasant kneeling by the side of the road. He's praying. The priest says to the man, you must be very close to God to spend all this time praying. The man says, yes, he's very fond of me. Can you say that? If you're a Christian and you're honest with God, he loves you, he's forgiven you, you belong to him, you're a child of God. And not only does he bring you forgiveness, this psalm then moves, I mean, I think the key issue is the forgiveness issue, but then he flows on to God's protection and God's direction. In verse 6 and 7, it says, pray and experience God's protection. It's important for this year as well. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Don't just keep the secret life and the sins and stay away from God. No, no, come to God while he may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach him. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from the trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. Come to God, pray to him. God is a protector. Pray while God may be found. No matter what you go through in 2023, pray. God will direct you. You see, once you are right in a right relationship with God and your sins are dealt with, you're, you're being honest with God, you're not pretending, God will keep leading you and protecting you as you move forward. But more than that, he will provide instruction and counsel. Verses 8 and 9, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my loving eye on you. I love that, that God is watching you, right? Not only has he forgiven your sins because you've been honest with him, no more secrets, but he's now protecting you and he's now going to lead you and instruct you with his eyes on you. Nothing happens without God's permission, right? It's not like, oh God, where are you? No, no, his loving eyes on you. He will work in all situations for your good and your growth. And friends, if you want to be instructed by God this year, you got the word, right? Read it by yourself. Study it in your small groups. Listen to the word on a Sunday. Listen to podcasts. Read other books. Let God instruct you from his word. And then he says, don't be like a dumb, stubborn mule. Verse 9. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding, but must be controlled by a bit and bridle, so that will not come to you. The godly person is told not to be stubborn, not to be stupid, don't be like a horse or a mule. Don't be like a donkey. We can be stubborn and stupid. The adulterous man who refuses to repent. I've known some of them. The young woman abusing alcohol. I've known some of them. The deacon in a church with a critical and angry spirit. I've known some of them. The young leader who always criticizes and puts others down. I've known some of them. Like dumb, stubborn, stupid mules. He says, don't be like that. And David says, that's what I was like beforehand until I was honest with God, confess my sin 
I was changed by God. The end result is trust and rejoice in the Lord, verse 10 and 11. Many are the woes of the wicked, but the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the one who trusts in him. First, God's eye is on you. His love is on you. And now his love surrounds you. If people come to attack you, no, no, the Lord's love is surrounding you. They can't get to you. Right? Because God's love surrounds you. The wicked, though, they're in trouble. But those who trust in him, life is different. Therefore, rejoice in the Lord and be glad, you righteous. Sing, all you who are upright in heart. And that's why we gathered today in our first gathering together at a 6 p.m. service in 2023. Why? Because we want to rejoice in the Lord. Because we are now righteous in God's sight through the death of Jesus on our behalf. And when you know Jesus, you want to rejoice in him. Psalms reminds us, don't be a dumb, stubborn mule, but rather come to God while he may be found. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for all that you offer us through the Lord Jesus. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. We do pray, Lord, as we start a new year. We pray that you would refine our heart, our desires, our behavior. That we will not live a public life and a secret life but that we will confess our sins to you, be changed by you, grow in you, love you, serve you, glorify you. Lord, and as we come to you with honesty and integrity, we do ask that you would protect us, you would forgive us, you would lead us and instruct us, and that we would rejoice in you, for you're a great God, a merciful God, who deserves our praise, our glory, and our honour. We pray in Jesus' name, our Saviour, our dying and resurrected Saviour. Amen.